0: Welcome to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Susan Cone Bell, born July 5th, 1946, created a legacy of leadership that will long outlive her life, which sadly ended in the waters off the Honduran coast on December 17th, 2009. In a few short words, Susan Bell could be described as a woman who had a talent to spark imagination and encourage creativity in every person she met. In this edition of Radio Curious, we visit with Neil Bell, who had the good fortune of spending over 44 years with Susan. We'll hear from Sally Miller Gerhardt and Jade Power, who share their insights about this remarkable woman, Susan Cohn Bell who she was and who she still is in the minds of those of us who had the good fortune of being her friend. Neil Bell visited the studios of Radio Curious on March 1, 2010, and we began our conversation with his story about how Susan and he met.
1: We met at a Holiday Inn, of course she was the switchboard operator there. I had a friend who was a lifeguard there. I made some calls. I wanted to talk to him. And she, being the Susan that I know, and the Susan that a lot of people here know, immediately took my plug, said, just a moment. And the next thing I knew, I was getting weather reports. So This girl had uh, an enormous amount of self-confidence, and I called back. I got dial-a-prayer at one point. I got the time. I got a number of places that I didn't want to be, so that's the kind of sense of humor that she had. What was the next step? You got the dial-a-prayer. Well, I, I called back and said, you're not going to believe this, but I got the weather, and then she laughed, and that's when I knew I've got to meet this girl, and eventually I did. What year was that? Uh, That was 1964, Arlington, Virginia. So that was the beginning of a more than lifelong friendship. It happened pretty quickly. We only had two dates that summer, and then she went away to one college, and I went back to the college I was going to. We wrote. We did get together over Christmas vacation, and it took about five minutes, and we kind of looked at each other, and that was it. When you say, that was it, that was how it. did you know? Oh, I knew. So did Susan. That was the part that made it really fascinating. We looked at each other, and there was just there was just something. So I said, "Whoa, this girl is not like anybody else."
0: And it took you about eight or nine years to come to
1: Mendocino County. Why Mendocino County? Susan's younger sister Elizabeth was living here then on McNab Ranch. She talked to us on the phone and said, "You know, Mendocino County is really beautiful. You'd really like it here." A brief summary in
0: my mind, includes the community center, the Simple Living workshops, the community participation that Jade Power will tell us about. Jade Power is an elegant young woman who grew up knowing and learning and enjoying the power and scope of Susan Bell.
2: It is an honor to be here today, sharing with so many loved ones the lessons and the gifts the great Susan Bell bestowed upon us all. I almost feel as if it were part of her master plan, For of course she always had one, and we are all players on her stage, (laughs) dutifully following our beloved leader's wishes, to come together as community, to talk and share, eat and drink, to laugh and cry, listen to each other, to support each other. However, even as we honor this Grand woman, this organizer of masses, fearless guide, and commander of ships, who it seems could make food jump into pots and (laughs) papers file into rank and order with a sharp nod of her head and a quick turn of her hand. The woman who always spoke up for justice at all costs, the person we all admire so much. As we celebrate, she who literally stood above. Most of us, at least. (laughs) It strikes me that one of Susan's greatest gifts was her singular ability to make you feel like the special one, to make you feel unique and beloved, talented and deserving, intelligent and generous, mirroring back your own strengths. Instead of towering over those who surrounded her as she easily could have, Susan gave us an understanding of community that was truly democratic. A horizontal and lateral model based on mutual respect and the understanding that strength comes from the sum of the individual parts, all of them. In Susan and Neil's community, we are all welcome, old and young, experienced and inexperienced, rural and urban, rich and poor, citizens of the world, each with a valuable voice. I can't remember life in Medicino County without Susan. I don't know when I first met the Bells, all I know is that Susan was always just around, always somehow involved, somehow on my radar of people who are important and do really cool things. And whenever our paths would cross, she always treated me with the same sincere interest and respect, whether I was 10 or 17 or 30. She always included me. I was aware even as a child that this was not typical behavior. I remember when she and Neil went and stayed in our house in Puerto Rico and became acquainted with the neighbors, my godmother and her sisters. Our next visit, we got the report. First of all, they had never seen a woman so tall. They thought she must certainly be a giant. Secondly, they were so impressed by her kindness that to this day they have never been so full of praise for any other house guest. This has always meant so much to me because as I grew up navigating two places and two cultures, I was always wary of people's judgment. In this case in particular, I was worried that people would not be able to appreciate these women's great humor and dignity, even through all the dirt and poverty in which they lived. I knew that if Las Hermanas, as we call them, loved Susan and Neil that much, It was only because they had shown them the respect and kindness that we all deserve. Whether in Mendocino County, or Puerto Rico, or wherever she was, Susan was that same memorable person who deeply touched people's lives. We all have stories. Susan was always giving, from buying a framed photograph of me and the miracle worker at an auction to give to my parents, (laughs) to letting me store groceries in her Ukiah refrigerator while I waited to finish jury duty. Susan was always attentive, appearing at the hospital within hours of my checking in with delicious food for me and my family. Susan was always recognizing the struggles of others even as she herself struggled, sending me flowers in San Diego because I had been ill while her own mother's health was failing. And Susan was always in a perpetual state of planning the next adventure. My last conversation with Susan was the week before her niece Elisa's wedding, and she was asking for suggestions as to what plant vegetable items we might have in the garden that she could use to make little bride and groom figures for everyone to play with. (laughs) Talk about details and an appreciation for even the smallest pleasures life has to offer. Today, I wish to honor Susan as the profoundly moving and inspiring person that we will all miss so dearly for many years to come. I would also like to think that if Susan were here, she would not want to be placed above us as someone who did the impossible, but rather be recognized as one of us, unique and irreplaceable, just as she would have us believe we all are.
0: Well, Neil Bell, can you tell us about some of those points that
1: come to your mind? Well, of course, the first thing that I think of is the Pegasus Bookstore, which wasn't much of a bookstore, never really was, but it was somewhat of a community gathering point. We had uh, tried to make the place as comfortable as possible, and it was a place where we would meet a lot of people. People would come in, and Susan, of course, being Susan, is not going to let people walk in the door without having a conversation with them. So she found out about them, they found out a little bit about her, And again, before we knew it, we had quite a community of people that we were familiar with and we knew quite a bit about what people were doing in other parts of the community. So it was sort of a nucleus for a community center in the first place. And then in the summer of 1974, I got a job working for the assessor's office at the courthouse. And because I was able to get that job, of course, we had to close the bookstore. But in the meantime, Susan had found out about the Youth Coffee House. And she said, well, you know, it would be a really great place to have a community center. Why don't we just do that and start offering things for the community, make it a real clearinghouse where people can leave messages? She started on a real shoestring. She started the Ukiah Community Center as a separate thing in September of 1974 down at Old Bob's Bar on Perkins Street.
0: And that's the origin of the same community center that exists today.
1: Pretty much. One of the things that I think Susan was a real genius at doing was simply having people come in with their ideas, and she didn't do things for them. She helped them do things they wanted to do. And I think that's really, that was the thing I think that made her unique and made her such a valuable person in the community, is that you could come in with an idea and Susan would help you figure out how to do it. The simple living workshop was just an outgrowth of this in which she got people together who were interested in homesteading kinds of topics for the most part, people who wanted to know about raising chickens. Well, they could learn from somebody who had actually done it and in some cases succeeded and some cases failed miserably. didn't matter. Either way, these people had valuable information for you
0: on a personal level. What was the thinking that you and she had that resulted in your choice not to be parents? It seems to me you could have done a wonderful
1: job. One reason why we didn't have children is that we were so absolutely wrapped up in each other's lives that the thing that people often look for in children, that kind of love, that unconditional love, we were doing that with each other. Maybe we loved each other too much to to think about the time an energy that it would take away from our relationship to have kids. Over time, that's sort of how it came out, one way or the other. In this edition of Radio Curious, we're honoring the
0: memory and the legacy of Susan Cohn Bell, who died off the coast of Honduras on December 17th, 2009. We hear from Neil Bell, her husband, and two of her important friends, Sally Miller Gerhardt, and jade power you're listening to radio curious i'm barry vogel there's an interesting episode that sally gerhardt indirectly tells us about with susan at mendocino college
3: once there was a woman who brought a cooperative and empowering administrative style into the tough world of an institution into the world of hierarchies and competition and high achievers. A woman who sought and found the best in the people that she worked with and indeed the best in each of the tasks that they embarked upon together. A woman who by her very presence brought poise to those who were ill at ease and a certain grace of movement to those whose course was rocky. A woman who enriched the culture of two counties with a diverse and high-functioning educational curriculum that she had implemented with the personnel and the skills that she had found in the surrounding communities. A curriculum that took on the rainbow of colors and backgrounds of the people in those communities, addressing their needs and their interests, and of course, a curriculum that ultimately produced graduates and the creative energies that served those communities. Once there was a woman who simply could not hold a grudge. She wanted to hold grudges, she, she tried very hard to develop a skill, for she knew many accomplished grudge holders. And certainly, she wanted to believe, certainly there were inequities in the world that deserved the righteous holding of a grudge or two. So, she enrolled in grudge holding 101 <laughs> with the firm intent of mastering the discipline. But somehow the grudges were too slippery or somehow they required too much blame or resentment or somehow she just simply felt bad in the presence of grudges. And so she dropped the course before the midterm, realizing the truth that she could not even capture a grudge, much less hold one. (laughs) And sometimes in their attempts to convince her of the necessity of grudge holding. Friends might say, oh, but what do we do about those who commit harmful acts? What do we do with people who damage others? And her first response might be something like, well, we're, we're all in this together. and We all of us do what we have to do. And then they say, but what if they do wrong? Shouldn't they be punished? And she would say, well, no, not punished. They must stop doing the harm that they're doing, yes. But... They need to be forgiven. Forgiveness is important, particularly for the perpetrator. But even more important, forgiveness is important to the person who must do the forgiving. Isn't that what it's all about, she shrugged? Isn't that what unconditional love means? Once there was a woman and it was the same one, and she had a very finely tuned sense of honor, a woman who could not tolerate any disrespect of individuals or any groups of any groups of individuals. A woman whose integrity would bristle at the very first hint of any injustice. And to her dismay, she learned that in the very institution of which she was a part, the public trust was being violated by those in the highest of managerial positions. And upon hearing these things, she went immediately through the proper internal channels in the hope of correcting the wrongs that she had discovered. But her efforts there were in vain. For she was told that she must keep silent, and she was warned of the dire consequences if she did not do so. And so, she was left with the choice either of giving up completely, relinquishing her concerns, or making one last effort, and that would be an appeal to the institution of governing board for the amending of those wrongdoings, and by that action, it would mean the revealing to the world of her discoveries. She understood that she could keep quiet and do nothing. She understood that this was often the way of institutions. To silence their critics with fear of retribution. She knew that to inform the governing board would have, have chaotic consequences for the campus and for many others. And she knew that she risked losing her job. But she also knew that if she remained silenced, she would be complicit in the very injustices that she was protesting and she knew that she could not endure the affront to her own integrity that such a silence would require. She knew that what she had to do would take enormous courage, but courage was no stranger to her for she had had to speak the truth, hard truths many times before and courage had always, always been her companion. She did address the Governing Board. She did speak the truth. And the world did find out, and the campus did explode into chaos, and she was forced to resign her administrative position. Then, back in the college classroom, it was her fortunate students who became the recipients of her dedication and of her skills, of her empowering concern for their success, their well-being and their joy, and in time, the campus resumed its improved symmetry. Once there was a woman empowering others, once there was a woman holding no grudges,
2: once there was a woman
3: fierce in her honor, and once there was a woman tall in her courage. Once, and not just once for all of us, but in our memory and in our hearts, once and always,
0: there was a woman. Well, Neil, can you fill us
1: in on some of those details? Yes, what Sally's referring to is the fact that Susan was a dean of the college from 1985 when she was hired by the college to run the Lake and Willits Center. And in 1987, after two years out there in the field, she came back to Ukiah so she could be more closely involved with the vocational programs for the entire district. She stayed on in that capacity and worked as a dean until the beginning of 1999, when she resigned her position and did what they call retreating to faculty. So she became a faculty member and taught computer science and mostly mathematics until her death in December. While she was dean, she was involved in community. She wanted to make sure that she was real aware of things that people in the community wanted the college to do, This often meant that she came into conflict with people who weren't quite as concerned. They thought of the college as being more of a kind of an ivory tower institution. No, we offer what we offer. You come and take it. Take it or leave it. Susan did eventually get herself into some trouble for doing more than she was paid to do. And, of course, she worked very hard at it, worked very long hours, and always wanted to make a point of being accessible. Can you expand on the word trouble? Oh, the trouble came actually in a couple of different forms. She was a great advocate for vocational education, which she always felt was very close to the community, giving people a chance to learn skills that would be usable right here in Mendocino County. She also was responsible for writing up the reports that you need to obtain vocational money from the state. Uh, This is federal money that comes down to the state. Then she would write up reports about the wonderful things the college was doing with this money. Unfortunately, what she discovered, actually, as soon as she took the job, got a little bit worse over time as more and more vocational money came in. She saw that less and less of it was actually being spent on vocational programs. Where'd it go? Uh, They were using it for all kinds of other things. It wasn't that anybody was putting it in a pocket. That was not the case. The problem that she saw was that vocational programs were starved. The computer lab was running with computers that were a joke. They had better computers at Ukiah High, and she was not afraid to speak up and tell them, what you're doing is wrong, it's illegal, and if we ever get caught, we're going to have to repay that money. Of course, they figured they'd never get caught. Another area that precipitated the problem had to do with her own treatment. And what she saw over the course of a couple of years was her supervisor's working quite diligently to make sure that she got a bad evaluation. What she saw over the course of the last couple of years, these guys are getting ready to get rid of me. They're giving me bogus bad evaluations based on what? Based on very subjective criteria and a couple of theoretically objective reports, but they were basically uh, sort of blackwashing her with this. She eventually wrote a letter to the board of trustees in which she outlined the problems. And she asked them very pointedly, very specifically. She told them that they should talk to other people, investigate on their own, and make the corrections they see necessary. The board basically chose to ignore her, listen to the administration. They'd been sort of poisoning the well by talking to board members about Susan's lack of performance. Do you think that's a reason why the board chose not to support her? Well, I think that helped a little bit. But at any rate, uh, once they got the report, they turned to the president, superintendent, president and said, well, what about this? And he said, well, everything's fine. No, this is all wrong. And they listened to him and didn't listen to her. Was a legacy for better
0: community education left as a result of what Susan chose to do?
1: Personally, I don't think anybody that I've seen before or since had as much of an interest in community, as much of an interest in part-timers, supporting them. You know, she tried to do things that were fun, that were that would kind of get people together, or get them to feel part of something. Part of the mission of the college is to do things for the community, part of the community is to value what's going on at the college. And I think she did that better than anybody before or since, but that's just my own personal impression of the thing.
0: Well, Neil Bell, thank you for sharing your thoughts with us about your Susan Cohn Bell. Uh, Tell us about a couple of things. The remainder of your one precious life, what would you like to do with it?
1: Well, one thing I do know is that Susan is going to be with me for the rest of my life. I don't think you can spend 45 years with someone like Susan and not have our lives be completely intertwined. So part of who I am is definitely Susan. Other than that, I really can't say where the road goes from here for me, I don't know. I'm just gonna be happy to be traveling it with her spirit. I certainly love this community, I love the people here, and I can't believe the level of support that I've gotten that I've felt, the love that I've felt from people.
0: Can you tell us about a eureka or an aha moment
1: that's come to you recently? A lot of it really has to do with understanding life and death. I've certainly seen a little bit of death lately. Um, We've had the passing of her father, my mother, her mother, but it's not quite the same as Susan. Susan is so much part of my world that it's a little bit different from having a parent, a parental figure, somebody from a previous generation go. So in a way here, she's really a pathfinder for, I think, a lot of us. And is there an interesting book
0: that you could recommend or that you think Susan
1: might recommend to us, or perhaps both? Well, it's kind of ironic what we did over the past year. We were reading books together, and we read books out loud to one another. And one of the things that uh, I really enjoyed was listening to Susan read books. Now, the last book that we were reading— was a kind of a a novel of the New Orleans area, and it's a book called Wet Grave. We never quite finished it. Uh, Some people find that a little bit ironic, since it's a book having very much to do with death. And she was reading it, and we were right about in the middle of it when uh, she died.
0: Well, Neil Bell, thank you very much for sharing stories about Susan Cohn Bell. Well, thank you for having
1: me on the show, Barry.
0: In this edition of Radio Curious, we've been visiting with Neil Bell, husband of Susan Cohn Bell, who died off the Honduran coast on December 17, 2009, along with comments from two people who knew her well, Sally Miller Gerhardt and Jade Power. The book that Neil Bell and Susan Bell were reading together to each other up to the time that she died. And is recommended by Neil Bell is The Wet Grave by Barbara Hambly. Copies of this and other editions of Radio Curious are available on our website, www.radiocurious.org. You can also subscribe to the Radio Curious podcast by clicking on our website. Our programs are also available in CD format. To get a copy, visit our website, radiocurious.org, for further details. And we appreciate your thoughts and ideas about our programming and do enjoy hearing from you. Our address is Post Office Box 7, Ukiah, that's U-K-I-A-H, California 95482. Our email address is curious at radiocurious.org and the phone number is 707-462-6541. Our programs are recorded in our studios in Ukiah, California. Hannah Bird heads our post-production staff. You've been listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Thank you for joining us.